Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Book Goodies Author Series Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Deborah Carney, and today I'm joined by guest Joe. Uh, I already forgot your last name. That's bad. Joe, Nic- Joe Nicasio. So, hi, Joe. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Awesome. Why don't you introduce yourself to the folks, since I can't seem to be doing a good job of it, and uh, let us know uh, what you're, how you got started writing. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Joe Nicasio, and I'm the head of res- uh, RapidResultsMarketing.com. And uh, for the last 20 years, I've been a marketing consultant, a sales and marketing consultant. Uh, essentially, what I am is I'm a marketing mechanic. So as if you, you know, if your car was broken, you would take it to an auto mechanic. When your business is broken, you bring it to the marketing mechanic or the business mechanic. I like it. And I like PitStopInfo.com. That's cute. <laughs> I like and, that. And uh, also, if your business is already working and you want to turbocharge it, you know, I'm the guy that can help you take you to another level. All right. Wonderful. Now, and as far as how did I get the book started? Mm-hmm. So I've been working with business owners for the last 15, 20 years. I've worked with over 500 business owners in 100 different industries. And what I've come to realize is that when the marketing improves, um, uh, jobs are created, you know, when the the business gets bigger. And uh, I realized that, you know, a lot of the political scene today is where are the jobs? Right. And uh, jobs are not created on a national scale. They're they're created by thriving businesses, and thriving businesses come from inspired entrepreneurs. That's that's excellent. In um, in our main business, we work mostly with affiliate uh, marketers and internet marketers, and they're all very entrepreneurial because you know, and the entire industry, the entire affiliate industry, is very young, and it create you know we create jobs every day. Um, just from people who, you know, need a second income or whatever. Uh, the job I do didn't exist uh, 15 years ago, and no one grew up wanting to be an affiliate marketer So, because <laughs> there was no such thing to aspire to. So uh, you're right. A lot of the jobs in this country are coming from entrepreneurs. Yeah, and, w- and with affiliate marketing, um, actually, it, it isn't new because we've had referral marketing, uh, we've had commission-only salespeople, so when you drive a sale to somebody, you get a commission from that. That's actually something that's been happening for a long time, even before the Internet. But the Internet has created a way for people to track it and automate it. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I say even if, you, uh, if you're an entrepreneur and, and even if you don't hire anybody, you create a job for yourself. Yep, um, very much so. And now, what qualified you to write this book? You already said a little bit because you've, you know, you've worked for a lot of companies. But what, what's your expertise? Well, my expert, my expertise is in sales and marketing. Um, and uh, I've been, like I said, I've been a sales and marketing consultant for the for the last twenty years. And um, people come to me, and they their business is slow, and and uh, I diagnose what the challenge or the problem is and um, um, and then I'm, I prescribe a solution for them okay 
Um, do you think that the entrepreneurial st- uh, spirit in America it has has died down, or do you think it's more on an upswing? Well, I think um, I think it's different for everyone. Uh, um, I was in front of a group of fifty people that were they all had bachelor's, masters, and PhDs, and I asked them how many of you would like to have your own business, and about sixty percent said yes. And then I asked how many of you are afraid of starting your own business, and a hundred percent of the hands went up in the room. Yeah. And so for people that already are thriving as an entrepreneur, they would say, oh, my entrepreneurial spirit is alive. If you ask somebody that's got a nine-to-five job and they're afraid, they look at entrepreneurs as these wild risk takers, I would say their entrepreneurial spirit is either dead or severely wounded. So in the book, we, we talk about the importance of triaging people and treating them as individuals. But for the most part, entrepreneurial entrepreneurism is not taught in the school system and this is one of the reasons people are afraid of starting their own businesses they were never taught how to succeed as an entrepreneur well and you're correct because through the through the years generations of people would do you know what their father did so like you know in the coal mines if your dad was a coal miner you were a coal coal miner and your son was and the same in the auto industry with you know they worked in the in the uh the shops and you know when it was time for the kids to get jobs they got jobs in the shops and uh that kind of job is going away so you know with plants closing and the economy and you know you you're not always following in your dad's footsteps anymore with your job so you kind of have to look around and find something else it's interesting that you bring that up because some people do follow their father's footsteps in terms of, you know, dad worked in the auto factory, I'll work in the auto factory, or dad was a plumber, I'll be a plumber. Um, and, and that's true. I think what's going on now is we have kind of, um, we've created a whole culture of people that um, they've, they've, uh, We've indoctrinated an entire culture and told them, go to school, mm-hmm. get a good education, and get a good job. Right. And it used to be true that if you had a good education, there would be a job there. And today, it's a big, fat lie. If you have a good education, it doesn't, not, it doesn't guarantee a good job. It doesn't even guarantee a job. Yeah, it actually so, delays the process. Yes. So we need to little, have a little shift in the dialogue, a new paradigm, and that is is go to school, get a good education, get a good job, or start your own business. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that we're going to increase the success of that is to put Entrepreneur 101 as an optional class in every high school in the country. That's a great idea. I think that um, – and actually, uh, back in upstate New York where uh, I am from – we actually had that in the high schools, but it was more of an AP level. Um, you know, it was for certain groups of kids where they would do, um, like, lawyers. Like, you wanted to be a lawyer, so they would put you into, you could join a, a class that would take you out there to try out being a lawyer. Um, or they had these science fairs where you were encouraged to create, uh, you know, be an inventor. But... Again, at the end of the day, you were expected to go out and get a job, not necessarily take that invention and, and run with it. Yeah, we have people that have tremendous skills. You know, they're you know, I told you I was in this 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 presentation, 
um, where these people had bachelor's, master's, PhDs. I mean, some of them were architects. Some of them were attorneys. Uh, some of them, you know, they had MBAs. But what was really going on there was a lot of these people are afraid of selling. They're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of putting putting their product or service out there. Um, we've we've become very comfortable with this idea. You know, I sh- I go to work, I show up, I do my nine to five, I get a paycheck, and um, um, and I you know I don't want to have all that responsibility of running a business. Right. And there's also a lot of people that like the structure of having a nine to five job and a steady paycheck. You know, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to know that sometimes the money is going to be there and sometimes it's not. Well, yeah. And, and, uh, it's, you know, when you start a business, there are, are no systems, right? Uh, there is no structure. So you have to create the structure so you can be very structured within your own business. It's just, you have to create that structure. But on the other side, I'd like to also say that a lot of corporations, you know, that I've worked for, uh, even big corporations, they, you know, they spend a lot of money on structure and a lot of their structures dysfunctional. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, structure isn't, you know, it's like somebody else provides the structure, but are you really uh, maximizing yourself? You know, I, I say that the greatest risk of all is playing it safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. Playing it safe is, is uh, scary. They, um, to your point about the corporations and the structure and, uh, and whether the structure works or not, one of the things is that the people who are getting paid nine to five, they may not like the structure and, or they need the structural outline they might not like the way it works, like with meetings and all this other stuff, and they don't have time to do what they feel like they should be doing. But on the other hand, it's at the end of the day, they can say it's not their responsibility, it's their supervisor's responsibility, and, you know, that it was part of the structure that kept them from uh, finishing up what they needed to do. And yet there are still people that wouldn't be comfortable breaking out of that box anyway. They they are the type of people that will go home and they'll complain that, you know, things didn't go the way they wanted at the office. But when approached with the idea of going out on their own, they wouldn't be able to handle that. That's right. Um, why don't we move on? All right. So um, another one of the, uh, another good question is where do these jobs come from? Like if you're if you're going to be an entrepreneur, where where do the jobs come from? Well, first of all, I think we need to eliminate the word job from our vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I think it's one of the one of the spirit killers is you know we have people say you know we say I'm gonna I'm gonna run a business and people tell us go get, get a job and you know that's contradictory. If if I'm running a business, I don't want to go get a job. I need to go get a customer. I need to go get some customers. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, so money comes to those that create value in the marketplace for other human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, the purpose of a business um, is to create a customer, because without customers, we can't make money. And so, the more we can identify people with problems, and then we can provide solutions to those problems, um, then then if we're a solution provider. Later, then, then we become employed, if you will, uh, in in the the solution of that problem, getting paid for it. 
Right, and then if you do well, you can actually provide jobs for other people. Yeah, okay, so that's the whole point. Yeah, where do the jobs come from? The jobs come from your own. So what's interesting about this book is is it's a book on being a better entrepreneur by 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 stoking your own or or, or building your own spirit. And the, the result of that is is when your business grows, jobs are created. Mm-hmm. All right. Now I think you already covered the question about posing a, a paradigm shift. Do you have anything else you want to say about that? Um <laughs> the paradigm shift is simple. It's just go to school, get a good education, get a job, or start your own business. And so, you know, if you if we want to have a thriving America tomorrow, we need to nurture America, you know, our entrepreneurial spirit today. And if you as an individual want to have a thriving business tomorrow, you need to nurture your own entrepreneurial spirit today. And uh, um, um, and so uh, it's all about you know, being a constant learner about how to, to run your business more effectively. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because you're coming from a corporate point of view and I'm coming from a very, where I'm surrounded by entrepreneurs. And um, it, it's interesting to hear your side of the story because a lot of the people I know are already very entrepreneurial, whether they're, you know, work-at-home moms or dads or um, you know, they've created businesses out of nothing and, you know, have, have been able to therefore employ people. And like you said, while one part of the country is losing jobs, I'm involved with an industry that is creating jobs. Um, so that's quite, it, it's quite interesting to see the differences between the way you see what's going on and the way I see what's going on. Um, now, how does your book relate to the Occupy Wall Street movement? Okay. Well, first of all, I wanted to just make a comment on what you just said, and uh, I've actually been um, I, I've been self-employed for the last twenty years. Although before that, for another fifteen years, I was in corporate America, so I know both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I'm also out in the world. So um, now I'm in California, and most people here there's a mix of people that have jobs and mix of people that have entrepreneurs so mm-hmm. i basically run into all types i find it very unique that well maybe not so that all you know or most of the people you know are entrepreneurs because that um in other parts of the world everybody's looking for jobs so i guess it has to do with geography and you know the circles that we travel in and uh, i tend to cross a lot of lines and and travel through different tribes if you will yeah and I see. I see uh, many sides of that coin. Uh, Occupy Wall Street is is a bunch of people that um, they were promised that if they went to school and got a good education, that the jobs would be there, and the jobs aren't there. So, um, what I tell Occupy people is, is, if you want a dream job, you may need to create it for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's a great. I mean, it's that's a it's great a, response to them. Yeah, you know, it's okay to be angry that, that, you know, there are puppet masters and there are greedy people that, you know, do pull the strings. Um, and it's okay to be angry at them. But ultimately, at some point, you need to become self-reliant because uh, we've created a culture of people that have become employer-reliant. And if you can't be self-reliant as an entrepreneur or employer-reliant as an employee, then you end up either being government-reliant, family-reliant, or charity-reliant. 
that's that's another good point. Um, all right. So now, why is it that when a foreigner comes to America and they they start a business, they seem to do better than some of our own citizens that are uh, looking to possibly maybe start their own business? Well, you know, foreigners, the, the, the parents of foreigners, they don't say go to, you know, go to school and get a job. They say go to America. It's the land of opportunity. Mm-hmm. You can start your own business, which is completely different than what we tell our own kids, which is go to school and get an education and get a job. Mm-hmm. So, so they see America as the land of opportunity, where we see America as the land of great colleges where, you know, you can get a higher education <laughs> and get a job. That's pretty funny. That that's an interesting analogy because there are a whole lot of colleges in this country. Um, all right, now in and your... colleges, go ahead. Colleges are there to make a profit. Yeah. Colleges are there to make a profit. We 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 think that they're there to like provide some kind of life skills. They're there to make a profit. They sell education. It's a big yep. business. Yep. Yeah. Education is a huge business and. Um, I'm sure in times when the economy is down, as long as the government is providing grants and loans, they can, you know, that just brought up an interesting point in my head. Everybody's yelling about the government saving, um, you know, the big banks and everything. Every day, Uh every year for the past hundred years, the government saves educational institutions because they provide federal loans, they provide federal grants, they provide you know ways uh, for students to get financial aid to be able to go to school, which keeps the schools in business. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, and it's and the problem is, is it's on the government's agenda as opposed to what really works in terms of putting people into being self reliant. Yeah. Um. In your book, you say there's no such thing as unemployment. What do you mean by that? Well, if you think about it, if you're self-employed, say you have 100 customers, um, everybody's self-employed. Yeah. Um, if, if you have 100 customers and you lose a customer, you got 99 customers. If you have a job, you're self-employed. You just have one customer. You've made the classic mistake. You got all your eggs in one basket. If you lose that one customer, you're basically screwed. And if you're unemployed, you're self-employed with no customer. So everybody is self-employed. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty unique approach. I, I never thought of it that way. Um, yeah, so that's, that's what I mean by there is no such thing as unemployment. Everybody's self-employed. And the moment that you make a decision to you know, provide service in exchange for money, boom, you are now self-employed. You're only one sales transaction away from improving your personal economy and you're only one sales transaction away from being employed. If you make a sale and you need to deliver on that sale in, so, in the form of some kind of service, you can have an income until that service is off, you know, is, is finished. Um, and of course, there's nothing, there's no rules that say that you're limited to only one customer at a time. That's true. Unless you have an exclusivity contract, which nobody should be signing these days. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess there's a time and a place for that, but um, right. And that's that's most employers. That's what they do is is they uh, they trade time for dollars, and they want you there forty hours. And uh, it's a big mistake to actually get paid by the hour. In my book, I talk about ten different compensation models, mm-hmm. uh, but but hourly pay is the worst, you know, um, um, because. Uh, um, 
time is more valuable than money, you can always get more money. You can't, yeah, get, you can't get more time. True. Yeah, life is really short. So, yeah, <laughs> some of us know that all too well. Um, now, in your book, you also say that there's two economies. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, there's a macro economy and a micro economy. I'm sure you've heard the serenity prayer, God grant me the serenity yep. to accept the things I can't change, the, the, the courage to know the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And too many people are worried about the macro economy, you know, what's going on in Congress and who the president is and all that. And uh, the micro economy is, is what I was saying earlier. You're only one sales transaction away from improving your personal economy. And, and what I hear, when, when I hear people say the economy's bad, what I personally hear is, oh, in other words, your sales and marketing process isn't working. Because if, if your cash register was ringing, if your sales and marketing was working, then um, uh, you wouldn't be saying the economy's bad. Do you think anybody at Apple Computer is saying the economy's bad? Nope. <laughs> Why? Because their cash registers ringing, and their 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 sales and marketing and innovation is working. Right, and that was the key word that you just said: innovation. They came up with something, they listen to their customers, and they continually provide what it is their customers are asking them for. And all of the successful entrepreneurs that I know are doing the same thing. They listen to the people who are their customers. They may have started out with only a few. And then they've gotten bigger because they listen and they uh, supply, according to their own skill set, they supply what their customers need. And if they can't supply what they need, they're able to find other people to connect with to get that uh, service for their customers. So that's, that, that's key. You know, innovation and point of difference are are the key to being able to be successful as an entrepreneur. Yes, and uh, I believe that innovation and creativity are learnable skills. They're skills that can be nurtured and harvested and, and improved, and we all have the seeds of creativity within us. Yeah, we just don't know they're there. Um, a quick funny story, a friend of ours who's heavily into analytics, and he's always you know, comparing things and dissecting things, and... Um, he published a book on Kindle a couple weeks ago and I'm like, oh, it's got to be about, you know, statistics. It was a book of poetry. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, so he found his creative energy within him, even though he, you know, still is a very statistical, analytical person. Yes. And a lot of entrepreneurs have that dichotomy. They have, you know, they're using both sides of their brain instead of one or the other. Well, you know, we all we all have two sides to our brain, and we can all use both sides of it. Uh, most of us have just developed one side more than the other. But you know, to be a full human being is to really to use your, to your whole brain. And I think we really limit ourselves if we box ourselves in to think we're one or the other. Yeah, um, it's pretty funny because there's a contestant on a local real or on a on a reality show. And someone mentioned that um, he always thinks outside of the box. And the mentor for that person said, I don't think he knows there is a box. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't know the box exists. So. What box? I destroyed the box decades ago. Exactly. Exactly. 
So now also in your book you say there are 21 spirit killers. Can you tell us like what are like the the biggest spirit killers and how people can overcome them? Um sure. Um I'll just rattle off a few off the top of my head. One is uh uh um well the biggest and people don't get what they want is they don't know what they want. So um, you, you need to have a definite purpose to, to succeed in business. Mm-hmm. So that's – if you don't have that, you're going to have a, a hindered spirit. Uh, also, uh, when people start businesses, we hear a lot of failure statistics. There's just a lot of fear around um, – starting a business because we hear about all these businesses that fail. And to overcome that, you need to focus on doing everything right. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a non-supportive environment is another spirit killer. Um, yeah, that's one that you got to work. A lot of people have to work around. Yeah, and that could just be, you know, what does your office look like? Is it messy or is it clean? Is it organized or is it not? Um, and... That's one kind of environment. I also find a situation where people are married and they have a spouse. Either way, it's either the husband or the wife. Um, so one is trying to run a business and the other one has a different agenda. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that um, that if you're going to run a business that you have buy-in from your spouse and that they they're, that you can align them and get them moving in the same direction as the business. Yeah, not wonder why the grass didn't get cut while they were sitting there working on a sales proposal or finishing a novel or <laughs> marketing, uh, you know, marketing something. And uh, you have to know that, that they understand when each other is working. Right. Do you find that most on, on, entrepreneurs work from home or do a lot of them go set up in offices? Uh, I, I, you know, I work with, with all kinds, you know, some work at home, some work at offices, some travel a lot, you know, they kind of live out of a suitcase. Okay. So, so, um, being an entrepreneur itself is kind of not location dependent. Some people, you know, I mean, if you're in a, if you're a manufacturing entrepreneur, you're going to have a, you know, manufacturing facility. If you're just selling other people's products or services, that doesn't necessarily tie you to an office. I do feel that, you know, for certain businesses, uh, uh, obviously for certain businesses, it's required to have a certain kind of location to deliver your product or service. Right. But, but uh, for many businesses, a lot more people are going virtual, um, and that's fine too. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, now, if since our audience is mostly authors or aspiring authors, what would be, you know, you, you tackled taking on this book. What would be your advice to someone who wanted to uh, write a book uh, and, and how would they get started? Well, it took me a while, but, uh, you know, you really want to get crystal clear of what is your objective. Um, you know, for me, I could have written another. I, I know a lot about sales and marketing, um, and yet there, I feel like there's a lot of sales and marketing books out there, and I didn't want to be like everyone else. So I wanted to do something unique. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's a combination of, you know, if you want to make money, you need to do a, combine two factors. One is do what you love. Mm-hmm. There's, there was a book written, Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow, back in the 70s. And chapter 7 of that book is Where is the Money? Right. 
so doing what you love is not enough. You also need to do something that there's a market demand for or that people are starving for. Um, you know, um, so like you said, just make sure you define that at the beginning, whether you're writing fiction to entertain people or you're writing nonfiction to educate people. Make sure you're doing something a little different than everything, everybody else, like you just said. And, uh, you know, just jump into it and do it. Well, not just different. I mean, um, you know, a great marketer one time, he said, you know, if you had a restaurant, you could have a restaurant <clears throat> that had one advantage over all others, what would that advantage be? And one, one marketing wizard said, uh, location, location, location. He said, okay, that's a good answer. And next guy said... Um, you, you know, I'd want the best chef. Mm-hmm. He says, okay, that's a good answer. And, and the next person said, I'd want the cheapest food. And he says, okay, that's a fair answer. And the next person said, I'd want a place with great ambience, you know, a very comfortable place. He says, okay, that's a good answer. And the next person said, uh, well, I would like um, uh, a location that uh, had great customer service. Mm-hmm. He says, those are great answers. But he said, if I had a restaurant and I had one advantage – over all others, he said, I'd want a starving crowd. If I, had a starving, <laughs> if I had a starving crowd, it's like people would walk off the beaten path. Location is not so important. Yep. If I had a starving crowd, it doesn't matter if I'm serving lobster or hot dogs. People, since they're starving, they'll buy whatever I serve. Mm-hmm. If I have a starving crowd, they don't need ambience. They'll eat off the street. And if, and if I have a starving crowd... You know, you don't even need good, good customer service. You can even be rude to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, it's not just about who you are and what you want to write. That's an important piece. But you need to connect that with the world of who's starving for this. Is that, you know, what, how can I understand what people are silently begging for? Because, you know, if you can just write a book for the sake of writing. Mm-hmm. And that's fine if you're just trying to amuse yourself. But, you know, if you want to actually sell books, then you want to resonate with something at a, at a deeper level. That's, that, so, so you need to understand your marketplace. Okay. Your, your market will determine your marketing. Yeah. And I think that's something a lot of authors struggle with, especially first-time authors, because they're like, well, I don't know, I'll write the book and people will find it and read it. And, you know, they don't understand the, you know, uh, I see that in your, your bio, you're a, you know, you're a practitioner in neuro-linguistic programming, which I think, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I think it kind of means, you know, you look into seeing what people need and how they can provide it. Yeah, well, yeah. NLP is is a is a pretty deep subject, but mm-hmm. um, but it's getting yeah. inside your head and pulling out something so that you know what people need. There's a fine line between elicitation and installation, and uh, here, here's a mistake a lot of authors make: is they just kind of write, "Well, I have this story about my grandpa," mm-hmm. or "I have this story about my summer vacation," or you know, "my hot romance." Mm-hmm. Okay. And whatever it is, I mean, ultimately, it's not about me, mm-hmm. the writer. It's about you, the audience, that really wants to get some value from this. Whether, you know, if it's nonfiction, 
you want to offer valuable information that people can use, they can relate to, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're writing fiction, you want to write you know, something that's entertaining and puts people on a journey. Uh, there's a book right now called Fifty Shades of Grey that's selling like hotcakes. And I think it really resonates with people's, you know, deep, you know, it's it's a romance novel. Mm-hmm. It's a trashy romance novel. But, <laughs> it is. I haven't uh, read it, but I know, I know what you mean. Um, but, you know, people want to be taken on an adventure and they want to explore their fantasies or they want to kind of have some kind you know, people want to feel. Mm-hmm. They want to have an experience. They want to feel more alive. And so whatever you're writing, don't just do it for yourself. Do it for your reader. And if your readers read it and they like it, then it's going to do a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a question that we, we kind of didn't touch on. When you wrote your book, did you have anyone edit it with you or did you just write it yourself and put it out there? Well, I worked really hard on trying to get it right the first time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the next phase is I read it. I took the book and read the whole book chapter by chapter into a recorder. Mm-hmm. And by reading it, it was a way for me to find a lot of sentence structures that didn't work. And, and so I was able to correct things as I was reading. It's like, oh, that sentence doesn't work. So it's one, it's one thing to like type at a keyboard or write on the yellow pad, but when you actually verbalize it, um, that is a good editing process. Um, and then after that, I had four or five people that I sent transcripts to, mm-hmm. and they edited it also and gave me some feedback and input. And all that being said, um, I still have a couple typos in there. But overall, I'm very proud of the work that I put out there. Okay, great. Yeah, that's another thing that a lot of authors are uh, relaying is um, as a as a good uh, system for new authors to use. Even if you think your book is perfect, a read it out loud. B give it to somebody, anybody, especially someone who doesn't know your subject if it's nonfiction. Um, or even if it is fiction, someone who doesn't know that much about uh, science fiction and see if they can connect and if they follow the story or if they see holes in your information. You know, like you said, you read something out loud and you go, wait, that that didn't make any sense at all. And I had one author that told me that she would watch her reader. She had a reader that would come and read in her house and she would watch her face and she would be like, you already passed this part and you didn't laugh. Uh, that that was supposed to be a joke. And the reader looked up to her and said, it wasn't funny. <laughs> and so she learned by, you know, watching the person reading her book that, um, you know, some things didn't work quite the way they were supposed to. So surround yourself with at least a few people and, and don't try and do it all yourself is what I think I heard right. you saying. Yeah, yeah and, and if I had to do it again, uh, I would take maybe, um, like, my chapters are very short. They're only, like, between one and maybe five or six pages. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of little sections in mine, mm-hmm. which makes it very digestible. I, you know, I tried to write in a way that was easy for the reader to read. Yes. And I and I tried to write in a layout um, that that 
is similar to layouts that I feel comfortable reading. Okay. And yep. so if I had it to do all over again, what I would do would be to take, you know, maybe two or three of those mini chapters, maybe 10 or 15 or 20 pages and, and give them to different people and say, could you just edit this little section of the book? Yeah, and see if it stands on its own. That's a great idea. Um, because, you know, everybody gets bug-eyed at one point. Yeah. <laughs> the first the first three or four chapters, even ten chapters, they get a lot of attention, and then the chapters near the end of the book, nobody, nobody, nobody gets that far. <laughs> so, all right. Well, um, Joe, it's been great. It's great to have you on our podcast. How can people get a hold of you? Where's the location for your book? You know, what's your social media? Sure. Um, my website's rapidresultsmarketing.com. Mm-hmm. And that's got the title. When you go to the website, you'll find the book there. The book is called Resurrecting America's Entrepreneurial Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they want to the, um, get on my Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Nicasio, N-I-C-A-S-S-I-O. Okay. And I do have a, a, a Facebook page. Uh, if you go to facebook.com slash Boost Your Spirit. Oh, I like that. Okay. Boost Your Spirit. And it is the book is available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and um, getting good reviews. Oh, that's something else authors might want to know is, uh, um, uh, you know, it is important to get good reviews of your book. Uh, I did a little bit too much Facebook tweeting one, not Facebook, Twitter tweeting one day. And somebody accused me of being a spammer and I said, and and they wanted me to give away my book for free. They were coming from like a very communist point of view. Okay. And I said, well, I don't give my stuff away for free. And I said, you know, if you check on Amazon, it's got nothing but good reviews. Mm-hmm. About 10 minutes later, I got a tweet back and it said, uh, check your reviews because they're not all good anymore. Oh, no. So I had a hater that organized two hate reviews, mm-hmm. even though um, they never read the book. So. Um, it's crazy. We live in a crazy world. Yeah. But uh, you know what? It, it, it's like you just have to take it with a grain of salt because they really never read the book. And I know I put a quality product out there. Right. So, uh, but it's, you know, we live in a world now where everything's under a microscope. Every You have to like walk through the world. Like everything I do is on video camera. Yeah. And, uh, um, but yeah, I just thought I'd bring that up just as, you yeah. know, for authors, they need to know that um, you know. Even if you write the greatest book in the world, you're going to find haters. Yeah, I I put out a photography book, and someone said they all look like they were done with Instagram, and I'm like, yeah, tell that to my two thousand dollars worth of camera equipment and my <laughs> you know couple thousand dollars worth of, ca- of uh, computer equipment, and you know they were just they they just wanted to find something to complain about, so. Um, but yeah, it's a good idea to, to get review copies of your book out there ahead of time uh, when you're getting ready to launch and get those get those reviews so that you can put them on your book cover and so you can um, get people to go to Amazon and give you start you out with the positive reviews so that when the negative ones come along, they're outnumbered. Yeah, yeah, my my positive reviews outweigh my negative ones, but yeah, yeah, get it out there and and uh, and. Uh, you know, the main thing is is put together a quality product and, and don't think just about yourself. Think about your audience. That's great yeah. advice. 
great advice. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for all of our listeners that are listening to this on iTunes, um, Joe gave your his website information there a minute ago. Just kind of rewind and go back and get it. And they'll also be in our show notes, which will be on bookgoodies.com. Just search for Joe Nicasio and you will find this podcast. And leave us a message or, um, you know, leave some comments if you'd like. And also, we would like to encourage you, if you're listening and you're an author um, or a service provider for books, actually, um, that you can fill out our contact form to be a guest on a future podcast. And for the authors, you can fill in our tell us about your book so that you can uh, let our uh, blog readers see uh, all of your wonderful books and can find them on our website. So, as always, we like to thank geekcast.fm for hosting all of our podcasts. And you can find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash bookgoodies, and Facebook, facebook.com slash bookgoodies. And you can find me at twitter.com slash loxley, L-O-X-L-Y. So, uh, everybody, I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Thank you for listening. And get writing and have a great day.